Blog Talk Radio. June 4th of 2023. You are listening to PGN. This is Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. Today we are talking about numbers and the earth reaped prophecy. I invite you to listen live at 12 p.m. Texas time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday to PGN's Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. In June of 2023, analysis and discussion of the Earth Reap prophecy with the Book of Revelation research scientists, that is me, are happening live on PGN on Sundays at 12 p.m. Central Time and at 9 a.m. on Thursdays Central Time. Please share your perspective or pose a question about the Book of Revelation during the live internet broadcast or at any time using our PGN text number, which is 1214-505-8719. That's 1214-505-8719. You can call during the live internet broadcast. That phone number to use during the live internet broadcast, which is uh, on Sundays at 12 p.m. Texas time and again on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Texas time. That PGM phone number is 1319-527-6027. 1319-527-6027. Would love to hear from you. Want to hear uh, your question about the book of Revelation, your perspective on any topic in the book of Revelation, or your prayer request. So thank you, Truth Seeker and friend, for being here with me and with us today. We are talking about Revelation chapter 14, it has two statements of prophecy. A statement of prophecy is simply a vision that John the Revelator was shown when he was called up to heaven. There are 12 statements of prophecy by my analysis in the book of Revelation. The first one is the seven seals prophecy. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. The last statement of prophecy is the new earth prophecy. Revelation chapters 21, verse 1 to Revelation 22, verse 5. So, today, we are talking about numbers and the earth-reaped prophecy. The earth-reaped prophecy is Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 20. So this is the statement of prophecy that gives a report that predicts for us what happens with respect to human beings who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Specifically, what happens to those humans who have the mark of the beast and who are 
at the Battle of Armageddon. They go through something that's called the wine press. So this is a statement of prophecy that tells us about the earth being reaped. Now, what does it mean to reap? I want to give us a definition from Wikipedia. It says, reaped is to cut or gather. I'm looking at dictionary.com. It says that reaped means to cut or gather. Another definition is to harvest the crop. So this is the earth-reaped prophecy. Another definition says to receive as a consequence of one's own or other people's actions. Let's hear that one again. To receive as a consequence of one's own or other people's actions. So what does it mean for those who have taken the mark of the beast and who are here at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, what do they reap? So this is the earth reaped prophecy. In other words, what is the consequence of one's actions when a specific action that has been taken is receiving the mark of the beast? What is the consequence? Let me pause there. So we're going to focus on that, that particular part of the earth reaped prophecy. I want to begin with looking at, I want to begin with us hearing the prophecy in its entirety. So there are many predictions here in this prophecy, but we're going to focus on numbers and what it means to take the mark of the beast for those who are here at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's get some context with a timeline. So the timeline of the second coming looks like this, according to the book of Revelation. We begin with the wrath of Satan. The wrath of Satan is the great tribulation. So the great tribulation is not tribulation for Satan's children. It's tribulation for the children of Jesus Christ, for the children of God. So when people say, we won't be here during the great tribulation, it doesn't make sense. The purpose of the great tribulation, in other words, the purpose of Satan's wrath is to attack the enemy to attack the children of his enemy. Let me say that again. The purpose of Satan's wrath, which is the great tribulation, is to attack the children of his enemy. So the purpose of the great tribulation is not to attack those who have the mark of the beast. The purpose of the great tribulation is to attack those who refuse to take the mark of the beast. If all believers have participated in a pre-tribulation rapture, there would be no one here for Satan to attack. It just doesn't make sense, and it doesn't follow what the scriptures tell us. Now, let's look at this timeline. By the way, there are many scriptures that uh, reveal that there's a post-tribulation rapture. If you want to look at the most... Uh, 
I think the scripture that allows you to see clearly without a doubt within uh, 15 seconds, look at Revelation 20, verse 4. But let's stay with our timeline. Timeline for understanding uh, what happens to those who have taken the mark of the beast at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we begin with the wrath of Satan, which is the great tribulation. That's three and a half years. The great tribulation lasts for exactly as noted in revelation chapter 12, 1,260 days. It lasts for exactly 42 months. That's three and a half years, as noted in Revelation chapter 13 in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. The wrath of Satan is followed by the wrath of God. That's what we're going to hear about in the earth reaped prophecy. So what happens at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ is wonderful for the children of God, it's horrible for the children of Satan. It's wonderful for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's horrible for those whose names are blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. What happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ is wonderful for the good fish, for the wheat, for the sheep. It's horrible for the bad fish. For the tares, for the goats. There are only two groups of human beings. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, those who will transition from mortality to immortality. In other words, those who are members of the royal race, royal race and those who's, who are not members of the royal race, those whose names are blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life, those who fail to transition from mortality to immortality in a tangible physical body on this present earth, on this present earth. Friend and truth seeker, do you know that every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In other, one, in other words, every person who has repented of his or her sins, every person who has been to mediation, every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, be bapt- and has been baptized into his death, which means that He died and paid their sin debt. That means they get to go free. That means that they get to transition from mortality to immortality because as noted in in, uh, Corinthians, these mortal bodies are not suitable for the new earth to come. We must transition to an immortal body a body that's free of DNA errors, a body that's free of sin, a body that's quickened by the Holy Spirit, a body that is 100% free of DNA errors. Only those 
Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be able to do that. Now, let's talk about this timeline. There's the wrath of Satan again. That's exactly 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. It's followed by the wrath of God. Now, when does the wrath of God happen And how does it connect to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Two key events with the second coming of Jesus Christ. I should say, let me revise that. Three key events. Uh, There are many events, but I want to focus on three key events. Number one, at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the first thing is the marriage of the Lamb. The second thing is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the third thing is the establishment of the government of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, And of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. We're not talking about a government in heaven. We already know that in heaven, the will of God is done. God, the Father, so God in his form as Father, is running heaven. And Jesus Christ sits at the right throne, that's God in a human body, an immortal human body. So the kingdom of God in heaven already exists, but what we await, what we look forward to, what we stand in expectation of is the kingdom of God. In other words, the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. On this present earth. And will you be a part of it, friend and truth seeker? You want to be a part of the government of Jesus Christ. You want to live on this present earth at the time when Jesus Christ will be the mediator for disputes between the nations. It says that, that he will mediate disputes between the nations when he returns. That he will appoint judges. It says that in the Bible, Revelation chapter 20, he will appoint judges. So let's talk about those three key events, and then we're going to go to the earth reap prophecy to look at numbers in the earth reap prophecy. Three key events after the wrath of Satan. The second coming of Jesus Christ includes the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the establishment of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. Okay, let's start with number one, the marriage of the Lamb. What's that? That's the resurrection. That's the rapture described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's go there. The marriage of the Lamb, also described in uh, Revelation chapter 20, it refers to the marriage of the Lamb before talking about the marriage supper, Revelation 19. But let's talk about the first event. The marriage of the Lamb, just very briefly, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 20, no, that's not correct. First Thessalonians chapter 4, here it is, verses 13 to 17. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So this is the marriage of the Lamb. Right here, friend, we're going to hear more verses. So the marriage of the Lamb is when Jesus Christ in his immortal peak performance body is back on earth. And with him are all of the members of the royal race who are back on earth. And it's considered a marriage because it's forever. It's forever. You want to be in your forever body, your immortal body, on earth with your God, with your creator forever and ever. So a marriage, God's idea of a marriage is a forever family. So the purpose of this whole earth experiment, if you will, is to reap a harvest, a harvest of what? A forever family. God created humanity so that ultimately he would have a forever family. And that's why it's called the marriage of the lamb. He wants to love you and be with you. And he wants you to see his face while he looks at your face as described in Revelation chapter 22. He wants that forever. So the first thing that happens at the return of Jesus Christ is what is called, what is referred to as the marriage of the Lamb. We have this beautiful report of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Verse 15, let's continue. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. So what does that mean? He comes down from heaven, Jesus Christ. Where does he come to? He comes to this present earth. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. What does that mean? It means that their bodies will be reconstituted. You say, well, that sounds like science fiction. No, friend, that's science fact. The scientists tell us that matter can never be destroyed, only transformed. And God in his omnipotence, in other words, God is all-powerful, and in his love will give every believer an immortal peak performance body, a body suitable for living on this present earth and the new earth to come. So it tells us here, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So they are not in their graves, but their bodies, the DNA is still here on the earth or in the sea. That DNA is present on the earth. And that DNA will be used in the same way that he knits together uh, version one of our bodies in our mother's womb. He's knitting together version two, 
the forever version of your body and my body, of every believer's body, that will be knit together in adult form, perfect form, no DNA errors, no knee pain, no back pain, no mental confusion, no mental torments, no missing fingers, no missing limbs, perfect hearing, perfect vision, perfect everything, friend. Perfect everything. You might feel like you got shortchanged in life. Maybe you were born with uh, one leg or maybe you suffered a horrible accident and you lost your vision. Maybe um, you've suffered from autism or uh, other things that have made life very difficult, that have prevented you from living out your dreams. Friend, do you know that you will never, ever reach or have experienced your best day until you put on your peak performance body? You want to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because in your peak performance body, you have eternity, not eternity in heaven. You have eternity in a tangible body on this present earth and the new earth to come. Now, let's hear what else. So some people are disembodied and they live in heaven, and they tell us here, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So in other words, their disembodied spirit and soul, so they're two in one, they live in heaven with perfect continuity of life, but they're disembodied. They're disembodied, so they have a form they continue to exist, but they don't have their body. They need that body, and they're going to get it. When are they going to get it? At the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 17, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You might say, well, why why?" Why are we rising up to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds? Remember, after Jesus rose from the dead, three and a half days after he was assassinated, after he was crucified, after he was murdered, he rose from the dead through the power of God, and he was the first to transition from mortality to immortality. And we, in other words, all believers, will be the second to transition from mortality to immortality. So everyone who's here at the time of the second coming will also be caught up in the clouds. So it happens in the blink of an eye, we're told, uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. So there's some people who will never, ever die. If you are a truth seeker and believer and you are here at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, you will never actually experience the first death. You'll simply transition from mortality to immortality. But again, all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life participate in the marriage of the Lamb. In other words, the time when Jesus Christ finally gets 
his forever family who are not only uh, with him in heaven, right? So every believer who has died is with Jesus Christ in heaven. But those of us who are here on the earth, he we're with him in the sense that the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us, but we're not with him as he is in his immortal body and we are in our immortal bodies and we're together in the same space. So at the marriage, at this wonderful event referred to as the first resurrection, the wedding, the marriage of the lamb, we are together with God manifest in the flesh, that's Jesus Christ. He's in his peak performance body, that's immortal, his glorified, perfected body. We are in our peak performance, glorified, immortal, perfected bodies, and we're together first in the clouds, okay? So that's one of the things um, that we'll be able to do in our peak performance bodies. Recall that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was here on the earth 40 days, and then he ascended. He simply allowed his body to rise up. You know, if you want to, if you have two arms, you can simply raise your arms in the air. It's not a big deal. Your body allows you to do that. If you... uh if you want to turn your head left and right and your body allows you to do that now, many people can do that. It's not a big deal. When you are in your peak performance glorified body, if you want to rise up in the air, you will simply do that. That's uh, one of the capabilities of the peak performance body. It will not be a big deal. So that is the marriage of the lamb. Um and it says at the end of verse 17, then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, we're getting context for this earth reap prophecy. We're about to look at numbers and what it means for those who take the mark of the beast at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first key event at the second coming of Jesus Christ is this, what we just heard in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 14 to 14 to uh, verses 13 to 18, the hope of the resurrection. Now let's go to the second key event. That's the marriage supper. The marriage supper is the battle of Armageddon. And that's what we are about to talk about in this earth reaped prophecy. So, the timing is the wrath of God, which includes, but is not limited to the battle of Armageddon, followed by establishment of the government of Jesus Christ. So three key events again, the marriage of the lamb, key event number two at the time of the second coming, the marriage supper of the lamb, key event number three, the establishment of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. Okay, now let us talk about key event number two, the Battle of Armageddon. So in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 20, let me make sure I have that exactly right. Verses 6 to 21, there's a description of the Battle of Armageddon. That's the marriage supper prophecy, which we'll be focusing on in September of this year. But I want to mention it 
briefly, as we're about to focus on numbers and the Earth Reap prophecy, during the Battle of Armageddon, God uses a strategy, and the metaphor for this strategy is the wine press. Now, what's a wine press? Let's get a definition of wine press. So it's almost as if God put the realities of the future and how he will fight and win the Battle of Armageddon in the Bible, but only those truth seekers who have a heart to know the will of God and the word of God will find them. Now, a definition for wine press is a press in which grapes are squeezed in making wine. Let's see if there's another definition. A machine in which the juice from grapes is pressed for wine. So this metaphor is used, the wine press. Let's talk about that. So the grapes are destroyed, and all that remains from the grapes is the grape juice. Now stay with me, friend and truth seeker. Think about all of the evil that men and women have engaged in over time. And it reaches a point in time that shortly coming when God says no more. There will be no more war on this present earth. And I am coming to fight and win the Battle of Armageddon, which is refer referred to as a war waged in righteousness. Now, what happens when this war waged in righteousness is fought? A wine press is used. The grapes are those individuals who are in the armies of the Antichrist and the false prophet who lead the Ten Nation Alliance. So these armies, the armies of the world, under the leadership of the Ten Nation Alliance described in Revelation chapter 13, it'll include Russia, it'll include Germany, it'll include Great Britain and other nations. According to Ezekiel, it will include armies from Libya and armies from Ethiopia as well. These armies will traverse the path of the Euphrates River, which will be dry. It will have dried up supernaturally. We're not talking about water levels have gotten lower. That's happening naturally now. But we're talking about what happens when it's dried up supernaturally, dried up to such an extent that these armies are going to literally use that path to come straight to the location in Israel to fight the Battle of Armageddon. Now, will they know it's the Battle of Armageddon? I doubt it. I doubt it because if they knew it was the Battle of Armageddon, that they would know that 100%, 100%, let me say it again, 100% of all human beings who are a part of the armies that come to fight Israel, 
during the Battle of Armageddon. 100% of them will die. They are the grapes that will be destroyed, the grapes that will endure the wine press. I should say that that will suffer the wine press. So let's make sure we understand this. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, the earth is reaped. There's a harvest. There's a harvest of those who are in Christ. They participate in the marriage of the Lamb, which is wonderful. But those who have taken the mark of the beast and who are in the armies of the Antichrist participate in the wine press. That's the other part of what is reaped. Now, we're going to hear it. We're going to hear it. Let's go to the earth reaped prophecy. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 20. John the Revelator tells us, here it is, the earth reaped prophecy. And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Now let's pause for a second here. Whenever it says in the book of Revelation to the people who belong to this world, that's referring to those individuals whose names are blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. So there are the people who belong to the kingdom of God, and then there are the people who belong to this world. So over and over again in the book of Revelation, when it says the people who belong to this world, that's talking to the people who have taken the mark of the beast during the great tribulation. Okay, let's hear it one more time. And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. Let's pause for a second there. It says, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. Well, why? We're talking about the period of the wrath 
of Satan. That's the great tribulation. That's three and a half years. But it's followed by the wrath of God. So persecution for God's holy people is going to happen during the great tribulation. And we're instructed here to endure persecution patiently. So we're not instructed to fight our own battle of Armageddon, right? No, the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought by Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven, not by uh, the armies of Canada or the armies of America or the armies of Africa or the armies of uh, South America. Every believer is instructed to endure persecution patiently. We say, how can you be patient? Because we know the outcome. We know the outcome. We know that persecution is limited to 1,260 days, persecution during the Great Tribulation. So our instruction is to maintain our faith in Jesus. Now, before that, we're told, every person who takes the mark of the beast, they must drink the wine of God's anger. So that's what we're about to hear about, the wine of God's anger, God's wine press. And ultimately, ultimately, what happens? So if a person takes the mark of the beast, and every individual will have to decide during the soon coming great tribulation, each individual must decide, will I accept the mark of the beast, which will allow me allow you to participate in the economy of the new world order. In other words, to participate in the financial system of the Ten Nation Alliance during the Great Tribulation. Will I participate in that financial system? And in order to participate, in other words, in order to buy and sell, in the context of that financial system, you have to take the mark of the beast. It's only administered during the Great Tribulation. You can choose to accept the mark of the beast, which will allow you to buy and sell. Like right now, if you want to uh, buy and sell in some, uh, for many things, you have to have a credit card. Now, I'm not saying that the credit card is the mark of the beast. It isn't. But what I'm saying is there's some places, for example, a favorite place that I like to eat, uh, they sell salads. I won't say the name of it, but a few years ago, I went there one day and they had a sign on the door, we no longer accept cash, credit card only. And immediately I thought of the mark of the beast. So there's coming a time where if you want to participate in the dominant economy, the dominant financial system, you'll have to take the mark of the beast. But friend and truth seeker, don't do it. You have a choice. You might say, well, why wouldn't I want to participate and the financial system that will allow, allow me to buy and sell and prosper. The reason that you don't want to do that, in my opinion, but you are the boss of you, you have to decide. The reason to reject participation in the upcoming economy of the new world order is that that new world order is finite and it is limited to three and a half years. It's limited to the period of the great tribulation where the antichrist and false prophet rule and reign under the inspiration and supernatural power of Satan. It's limited. It's finite. It's only 1,260 days. After that, it's over. 
after the wrath of Satan is the wrath of God. And that's what we're about to hear now. So what happens to those who take the mark of the beast? It says they must drink the wine of God's anger. So we're going to talk about the wine press. But for everyone who takes the mark of the beast, wherever an individual is, so whether the individual's in Washington, D.C., or Los Angeles, or Mexico City, Zurich, Beijing, Eritrea, Haiti, you know, the, the list keeps going on. You say, well, I'm in Swaziland, or I, I'm in um, Addis Ababa, or I'm in uh, Tunisia, I'm in Togo. I'm in Great Britain, wherever you are, if you take the mark of the beast, here's what we're told. Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. Then we're told later in verse 10, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. So we're not talking about what happens in a six-month period or one-day period or 90-day period. Anyone who takes the mark of the beast fails to transition from mortality to immortality. That individual experiences the first death. Why? Right now, everyone on this earth is in a mortal body. So either you die, right? So if you take the mark of the beast, you die And where do you go when you die if you take the mark of the beast? So you die at some point because the individual's in a mortal body and has taken the mark of the beast. When that individual dies, let's say the person is in Geneva, that individual goes to a temporary location, Hades, as noted in Revelation 20. Verses 11 to 15, Hades, that is a physical location under the earth. It's a prison of darkness. You say, well, how do you go there if you've died? If, you, if you're dead, you're dead. No, friend. If you're dead, you have perfect continuity of life. You are disembodied, but you are still alive. You say, well, how can that be so? Every human being is either three in one or two in one. If you're on the present earth, you're three in one, body, spirit, and soul. If you have died, you're two in one, soul and spirit. If you're soul and spirit, you're either in Hades. Or you're in heaven. These are physical locations above the earth and under the earth. And for those who have taken the mark of the beast, when they die, they go to Hades, which is a temporary location until the second resurrection. Now, we're going to go to that because I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to fail to make the resurrection. Now, what happens for those who take the mark of the beast? They die and go to Hades. Then what happens? Let's hear. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Let me pull up. uh, Let me make sure I'm getting... uh, a translation that will give us more rather than less. 
Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. So what happens? Those who go to Hades, they're in the prison of darkness. They're there for the entire period of the millennial reign. So after Jesus Christ fights and wins the battle of Armageddon, he establishes his government. And then after the first thousand years, now it's time to wrap it all up. What does that mean? It's time for the end of the age. What's that? It's time for the end of time. In other words, it's time for the earth to end. It's time for all the enemies of God to be destroyed. It's time for us to transition from the age of the curse to the new age, the real new age. What's that? That's the new earth where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more grieving, no more death, no more sorrow. The new earth. What needs to happen in order for us to transition to the new earth? Well, all of God's enemies must be destroyed. Who are God's enemies? There are five. Number one, the Antichrist. Number two, the false prophet. Number three, Satan. Number four, all who have chosen to follow Satan, all of his children, every person who's taken the mark of the beast, every person who's rejected Christ. Number five, death. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says, and the last enemy he destroys, who's he? Jesus Christ is death. Death is going to be put to death. Now let's hear about it. Let's go back a little bit. Um, so individuals who have taken the mark of the beast, they die. Now they're in Hades. So they're in Hades. If they die during the Great Tribulation, after they've taken the mark of the beast, they're there for the rest of the Great Tribulation. They're there. Uh, if they die after the Great Tribulation, let's say after Jesus Christ comes back, uh, they took the mark of the beast. That means that they did not transition from mortality to immortality with the believers. So at some point, that mortal body will give out and they'll go to Hades, right? So every person who takes the mark of the beast goes to Hades, some sooner rather than later. They're in Hades until when? Verse 10 of Revelation 20 tells us, then the devil who had led them astray, deceiving and seducing them, was hurled into the fiery lake of burning brimstone, where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, Satan is destroyed. Then after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, that's the second death, now about these people who have taken the mark of the beast, what happens to them? They're resurrected. So Revelation 20 verse 4 tells us, um, Revelation 20 verse 5, the remainder of the dead were not restored to life again until the thousand years were completed. Let me say it one more time. The remainder of the dead, who's that? All who failed to participate in the marriage of the Lamb, all who failed to transition from mortality to immortality because they rejected Jesus Christ, that's the rest of the dead. So all human beings are in two groups, right? Those who 
have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those whose names are blotted out. If your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you've been resurrected already. You've transitioned from mortality to immortality. You're here for the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. If not, if you were not a participant in the first resurrection, you're the remainder of the dead. And Revelation 20 verse 5 says, the remainder of the dead were not restored to life again until the thousand years were completed. What thousand years? The first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. Now, why you say, well, why do we need to, like, once he returns, everything's all settled. We're done. We're home free. Not exactly. The first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, it's a transition period. There will still be some mortals on the earth, and it's a transition period because Satan is not destroyed until after the first thousand years. So we have not reached uh, we have not reached the the bliss state. I, I don't think that's the right word to use. Let me recall that we have not reached God's perfect plan during the millennial reign. And the reason that we know that is because there's still more enemies that have to be destroyed before God relocates God, the father from heaven to earth. So first the antichrist and the false prophet are destroyed at the fall at the battle of Armageddon. Here we just heard in verse 10, revelation 20, Satan's destroyed after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about the last two enemies to be destroyed. First, all these people who have taken the mark of the beast and everyone else from any point in time who had rejected Jesus Christ. And where are you? Where, where are you? If you have died, if you have died uh, yesterday, 500 years ago, 1800 years ago, if you have died at any point in time, but you have not been to mediation, in other words, you have rejected Jesus Christ. Where are you? You're in a prison of darkness in Hades. Again, Revelation 20, verse 5 says, The remainder of the dead were not restored to life again until. So what does that mean? At some point, they're restored to life again. When does it say until the thousand years were completed? Now let's go down to Revelation 20, and it's the thousand years have been completed. Now we're talking about the resurrection of those who've taken the mark of the beast and everyone else who uh, rejected Christ, it says, then I saw a great white throne in the one who was seated upon it. And I'm going to go down now to verse 12. I also saw the dead, great and small. They stood before the throne and books were opened. What does this mean? This is the point. It's called the great white throne judgment. We're reading the dead judge prophecy where those who have taken the mark of the beast and others, but those who have taken the mark of the beast and everyone else who's rejected Christ, they are resurrected. And it says they stood before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, sentenced by what they had done, their whole way of feeling and acting, their aims and endeavors, in accordance with what was recorded in the books. Now, here's the part you say, well, how do you know, like, where they were? Like, they died and now they're resurrected. Absolutely. Verse 13 says, and the seed delivered up the dead who were in it. 
death in Hades, the state of death or disembodied existence, surrendered the dead in them, and all were tried, and their cases determined by what they had done, according to their motives, aims, and works. And it says in verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was hurled into the lake of fire. So in other words, what's the trajectory? We're talking about the second coming and those who have the mark of the beast. What's the trajectory for a person who chooses to participate in the soon coming economy of the new world order? who chooses to take to the mark of the beast either on the right hand or on the forehead, that person dies because he or she's in a mortal body. Then the person goes to Hades, which is a physical location under the earth. It's a prison of darkness. It's the absence of light, separation from God. It's a, it's a temporary location. Hades is a temporary location. Then the person is resurrected after Satan is destroyed, the person is resurrected and goes to the great white throne judgment. There, the person, uh, and again, it says Hades has to give up all their dead. So they leave Hades and they come to the location where the great white throne judgment is happening. It doesn't tell us where that location is, but they come to that location. They've been restored to life again. John the Revelator tells us in verse 5 of chapter 20, the rest of the dead don't come back to life again until the thousand years is up. So the thousand years is up. They're restored to life again. Why? Because the first death is temporary. Every human being who has died, with the exception of the Antichrist and false prophet, they are restored to life again, either at the marriage of the Lamb or at the great white throne judgment. Now, as you just heard, every person who participates in the great white throne judgment, it says the books were opened and all were tried in their cases determined by what they had done. The dead were judged, sentenced by what they had done, their whole way of feeling and acting, their aims and endeavors. If you take the mark of the beast, that means that you have not allowed Jesus Christ to settle your case. So we hear in Timothy that Jesus Christ is the mediator. So what does that mean? Mediation is where an individual goes to get a case Settled. How's it settled? Each party agrees to the terms of the settlement. So in other words, when we sin, God has a case against us. So for example, you say, well, um, you know, I'm a good person. I've rarely sinned. The biggest sin I ever committed was I told a lie when I was in eighth grade. One sin is sufficient for God to have a case against me and a case against you or anyone. So it's black and white. In other words, a person has sin debt or no sin debt. Because we inherited the propensity for sin from our foremothers and forefathers, specifically from Adam and Eve, we're all sinners, okay? We're all 
sinners. That doesn't make you a bad person, but the sin is bad. The sin is bad. And because of the sin, now we're subject to mortality. Now we're subject to death, which death is an enemy of God. God hates death. God considers death an enemy. And it's the biggest enemy, and we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, and the last enemy he destroys will be death. So if you want to get in agreement with God, if you see death as your enemy, and friend, death is your enemy, you ought to live forever. You ought to have a perfect body. You ought to have uh, eyes that are perfect, knees that are perfect, a brain that's perfect, free of all mental torments. You ought to have feet that are perfect, fingers that allow you to play the piano, uh, legs that allow you to run like the wind, hair that moves and flows. Teeth that allow you to chew, a stomach that allows you to receive all kinds of uh, food, whatever you want to eat. Friend, I'm not talking about science fiction or fantasy. I'm talking about science fact. I'm talking Bible. God says that his will is that all should have eternal life and that none should perish. But we've got to cooperate. We each get to decide Are we coming into agreement with God? Do you believe that death is your enemy? The world says, oh, you only have one life to live. Uh, You better do everything you want to do. You want to live in sexual immorality. You want to lie, steal, and cheat so you can have the perfect house, the perfect car. You want to steal your neighbor's wife or husband because, oh, this or that. Friend, reject the lies of the enemy. Reject the lies of the enemy. Repent of your sins. Recognize that we have a fallen nature. We have to choose to follow God. We have to choose to turn our backs on the sins that would have their way in our lives. We all fight sin and temptation. For one man, it's one thing. For another uh, man, it's another. For one woman, it's one thing. For another woman, it's another. Go to mediation. God has a case against every person. The only way to get your case settled, in other words, the only way to get your sin debt paid for, to be in right standing with God is through mediation. And there's only one mediator. That's Jesus Christ. Buddha is not a mediator with God the Father. Now let me read that scripture to you. There's only one mediator. Let's hear that. You need to go to mediation so that you can avoid the great white throne judgment. Every person who's been to mediation participates in the first resurrection. So in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Why does it say the man, Christ Jesus? God gave himself a human form. What form is that? Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is both the son of man and the son of God. So when he died, he died 
but the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin's wage is death, but because he hadn't sinned, when he died, that was illegal. That was illegal for them to kill him, even though he had never sinned. So what does that mean? That means that he can appropriate his death to you. That means he can say, oh, you killed me, but it was wrong. Now you owe me. So he can say, oh, I'm going to plug in so-and-so's sin onto my account, and therefore I'm dying in that person's place. Therefore, this person gets to transition from mortality to immortality because the person's sin debt is paid. That's mediation. That's putting you in right standing with God. That's blotting out all your sins. We're told in the Bible that when you find and follow God's plan for salvation, that all your sins are blotted out. All your sins are blotted out of your book in heaven, and your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, let us get back to talking uh, talking about the mark of the beast and why you you need to go to mediation. You you need to allow Jesus Christ to be your mediator because God has a case. God has a case against every human being. So either your case has been settled through mediation or it hasn't. Either it has or hasn't. I don't care uh, what you think about yourself. In other words, you might say, I'm a good person. Man, I'm 10 times as good as my father was to me. You might say, I'm 100 times a better mother than my mother ever was. I'm, uh, I'm twice as excellent at my job as my peers. I give 98% of my income to the homeless. It doesn't matter the number of your good deeds or good works with respect to whether your case is settled or not. Okay, now we're not talking about the rewards of God. We're talking about salvation. In other words, the ability to inherit eternal life in a tangible body. Now, there are rewards for believers. But we're not talking about rewards right now. We're talking about, hey, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life or isn't it? Do you participate in the first resurrection or do you participate in the second resurrection for all the people whose cases haven't been settled? So you want to participate, I think, in the first resurrection. That means you've been to mediation again There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Listen, Allah can't pay for your sin debt because he didn't die sinless. So he can't substitute his death. uh, He can't substitute his death for yours. He can't die in your place. Neither can Buddha. Neither can we just, just put any name in there, right? Okay, so I'm not maligning any of the individuals that I've just named. I'm simply reporting that there's only one mediator. There's only one person who can reconcile me and you and each of us to God the Father. There's only one way to get to immortality, and that's God's perfect plan for you. Death is your enemy. You ought to hate death. God hates death. 
He has declared that death is his enemy and that he's going to destroy it. Don't get in agreement with death. Don't buy into this notion that you just have the best life that you can and then you die. No, what you ought to do is make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because you haven't lived your best day yet. You have never, ever been in a peak performance body that's 100% of free, free of DNA errors where your brain has the ability to do everything that God has created it to do, where you never, ever experience mental torment. Don't get in agreement with death, friend. Recognize that death is your enemy. Now you say, how do I cooperate with God? You cooperate by God, with God by saying, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. I repent of my sins. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I don't I don't want to be a sinner. I'm turning my back on sin. I'm turning my back on lying. I'm turning my back on lust. I'm turning my back on uh, stealing. I'm turning my, my back on hate. I'm turning my back on just there's so many sins. And we've all committed one or more sins. If you're Hitler, your sins are in the millions. If you're you, maybe your sins are less than 10. Maybe they're less than 20. I don't know. But even if you have just one sin, God has a case against you. You need to be the me- be- go to mediation. Make sure you've been to mediation. How do you do it? Repent of your sins. Make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. You say it out loud according to Acts 2.38, and then you get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why do you get baptized? You get baptized into his death. What does that mean? You join him in death. You're united with him in death. He rose from the dead. That means you're going to rise from the dead. Hallelujah. Friend, I want to see you here on this present earth. I want to see you in your peak performance body. You haven't sang your best song yet. Now, imagine... Mariah Carey with no DNA errors. Now, her voice sounds amazing today, but what's her voice going to be like when she's in her peak performance body? How many whistle notes can she sing in? Now, we're looking at Jimmy Butler. We're looking at Javante Davis. We're looking at LeBron James. We're looking at, just put it in there, the best athlete, Serena Williams. They haven't played their best games yet. Imagine what they can do in their peak performance bodies. Now, friend, I'm talking about celebrities, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. You have capabilities that haven't been realized. You have talents that God wants to use. Yes, he's using them today, but how much more can he use them when you're in your peak performance body? Friend and truth seeker, please make sure you've investigated what I'm talking about here. I'm not telling you my opinions. My opinions hardly matter. I'm telling you the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now let's get back to the earth reap prophecy. What happens with these numbers and those who take the mark of the beast? Verse 
13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, we're in chapter 14, we're continuing verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. What does it mean, uh, rest? So if you die, because you're taking the mark of the beast, you go to Hades. You go to Hades until when? Until the second resurrection. That's after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. If you have died in Christ, you rest in heaven. If you have died in Christ, you rest in heaven until the second coming. You rest from your hard work in heaven. It's a place of rest. Hallelujah. Verse 14. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. Here it is. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, what's a sickle? A sickle is what you use to reap. We're talking about the earth-reaped prophecy. Let me give you a definition for a sickle. We're talking about the earth-reaped prophecy God wants to reap a forever family. It says a sickle is the cutting mechanism consisting of a bar with a series of cutting elements. An agricultural implement consisting of a curved metal blade with a short handle fitted on a tang. A tool. Let's see the second definition. A tool with a short handle and a curved blade used for cutting grass and grain crops. So what's the crop? Humans. So either a human is a child of God or if it's, or it's a child of Satan. Either uh, let me let me pause there. So we're in Revelation chapter 14, the earth reaped prophecy. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. What does that mean? Remember, earth's crop refers to human beings. Some human beings are harvested and participate in the first resurrection. Some human beings will participate in the wine press. Let's keep going. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes. From the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. Now, did you hear that? So verse 16 said, so the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. And then verse 18 says, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So some participate in the harvest. What does that mean? God finally gets his forever family. Where does he get it from? People who were on the earth at the time of the second coming and the people who are in heaven. Okay, those two groups. But then we go down to verse 18. 
Now it says, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. Now, let's talk about the clusters of grapes. So there are those who take the mark of the beast, who will be in places, and they, uh, they'll be on all the different continents, but they will not be in the armies that invade Jerusalem on that day. What day? On that day is the day of the Battle of Armageddon. But the grapes, the grapes, here, what's it talking about? The great wine press refers specifically to the Battle of Armageddon. What's going to happen to those people who've taken the mark of the beast and they're in the armies of the Antichrist? Here it is, talking about the grapes and the wine press. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. In order to unlock this secret, you must understand that the great wine press of God's wrath is the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon is local. It's local. It's not international. The Battle of Armageddon is not happening in Wichita, Wichita, Kansas. It's not happening in Salt Lake City. It's not happening uh, in Boise. It's not happening in Geneva, okay? It's not happening in Dakar. It's happening specifically in Israel. The Battle of Armageddon is local. So right now, we've already been told that every person who takes the mark of the beast ultimately is going to die and then is going to participate in the great white throne judgment and then will be sentenced to the lake of fire, that's the second death. We've already been told that earlier in this prophecy, but now the prophecy is focusing specifically on the battle of Armageddon and those who have taken the mark of the beast and who are there to participate in the wine press of God's wrath. Let me read that to us again. Starting with verse 18, then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, what city? Jerusalem. And blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Okay, so we're talking about numbers in the earth week prophecy. You just heard the number 180. What does this mean? Let's hear that last verse, verse 20 of chapter 14. This is a key secret, very important. God has locked it for us. Thank you, Lord. The grapes were trampled in the wine press. What's that? That's the Battle of Armageddon outside the city. What city? Jerusalem. And blood flowed from the wine press in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. So when God and the armies of heaven fight and win the battle of Armageddon, there will be 180 miles long of blood. Now, I want to share with you 
that prophecy, the part of the marriage supper prophecy that gives us more details on this 180 miles. Uh, but before we do that, I want to go to a couple different translations, because we're talking about numbers in the earth reap prophecy, a couple of translations of that verse. So if you're looking at the King James Bible, uh, that translation says, and the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles by the space of a 1,600 furlongs. So if you're looking at the King James Version, it refers to it as 1,600 furlongs. So the New Living Translation says 180 miles. The King James Version says that the blood and carnage will be 1,600 furlongs. If you're looking at um, if you're looking at the NIV, the New International Version, it says they were trampled. Who's they? This is the armies uh, led by the Antichrist and false prophet and the kings of the earth. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Okay, and if you're looking at, let's look at a few more translation. If you're looking at the NASB 1977 version, it says a distance of 200 miles. If you're looking at the contemporary English version Bible, it says the blood turned into a river that was about 300 kilometers long and almost deep enough to cover a horse. So 300 kilometers, if you're looking at the common Excuse me, if you're looking at the contemporary English version. Um, okay, so we're talking about numbers. Key point, at the Battle of Armageddon, the carnage will reflect the blood of those who die. 100% of these individuals will have taken the mark of the beast. They will be those individuals who came to fight the people of Israel in Jerusalem. They will be destroyed. And when they are destroyed, the blood will flow as high as a horse's bridle and for a long length. Some translations tell us 180 miles, some 200 miles, some 300 kilometers, some 1,600 stadia. Okay. Um, let us go to more details about the Battle of Armageddon. So we're in the Earth Reap Prophecy, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 20. So we learn that what does it mean to for the earth to be reaped? It means for every person who's in the Lamb's Book of Life, whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who's on the earth, participating in that first resurrection. And then it means... For those people who are here on the earth and they are fighting the battle of Armageddon, but they're on the wrong side. So there are only two sides for the battle of Armageddon. There's Team Jesus and there's Team Satan. There are only two sides for the battle of Armageddon. Team Jesus and Team Satan, let's get the visual. Let's get the the actual statement of prophecy that exclusively focuses on the Battle of Armageddon, that's the marriage supper. It's the marriage supper prophecy, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. I want to go to the part 
where we see the actual Battle of Armageddon. John sees it in the vision shown to him in heaven, and then he writes down in words what he saw. So in other words, he saw a documentary of realities, uh, soon coming realities, and he wrote uh, down in words for us, the readers of the book of Revelation. So let's go to that prophecy. Verse 17 of chapter 19 says, I'm going to read uh, from the Marriage Supper Prophecy. So let's get more information on those 180 mouths of blood, right? So who has died? Why is there 180 mouths of blood outside the city? And how is it going to be cleaned up? Remember, three key events at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Number one, the marriage of the Lamb. Number two, the Marriage Supper that's the Battle of Armageddon. Number three, the establishment of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. Let's hear about the Battle of Armageddon in more detail. So it's mentioned in the Earth Reap Prophecy. Specifically, it tells us about what about those individuals who are there fighting against Israel. Let's Let's get more details. Revelation 19, we're in the Marriage Supper Prophecy. I'm just going to read part of it. The last part, verses 17 to 21, it says, Then I saw an angel, who's I, John the Revelator, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky. Now let's pause for a second. So the angel's not talking to the people who belong to this world. The angel's not talking to believers. The angel's talking to vultures. So the marriage supper it's it's not about what is happening for believers. It is a supper not for you and I, okay? It's not for those who are children of God or for children of Satan. It's for the vultures. The vultures are God's cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon. You might say, that sounds nuts. Well, listen to this and then tell me what you think. You can text me here. Let me give you the number again. The text number is one two one four five zero five eight seven one nine. That's one two one four five zero five eight seven one nine. According to the Bible, the wedding feast, the marriage supper. So this is the marriage supper prophecy. Revelation uh Revelation chapter nineteen Verses 6 to 21, verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So some translations refer to it as the wedding feast of the Lamb, some as the wedding supper, some as the marriage supper. All have that same verse 9. So we're talking about the wedding feast. This is not, you know, a turkey dinner. It's not uh, pork chops and mashed potatoes. It's not lobster. It's not shrimp fried rice. Okay, this is the battle of Armageddon. Let's hear it, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. So God has prepared a great banquet for who? Not for you and me, for the vultures. How do we know that? Let's continue with verse 18. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now, Jesus Christ is not a cannibal. 
Let's continue, verse 19. Then I saw the beast, who's the beast, the Antichrist. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Let's hear it again. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together. So on one side is the Antichrist and the kings of the world and their armies. And on the other side, it says, to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army, Jesus Christ. And he's there on a white horse with his army, the armies of heaven. Then verse 20 says, and the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. So the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're captured at the battle of Armageddon. They lose. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. What does that mean? They were put to second death. The second death is God's plan for destroying his enemies. How, who, who are his enemies? The Antichrist and the false prophet. First two to go to the second death. Who's next? Satan. A thousand years later, then Satan. Then who's next? Every person who goes to the great white throne judgment, they come after Satan. And then last, last, death is thrown into this lake of fire. Okay, but let's stay here. We're at the Battle of Armageddon. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, here it is, friend. We're talking about numbers, the 180 miles of blood, the 200 miles, the 300 kilometers, the 1,600 stadia, the 1,600 furlong, furlongs. Here it is. Verse 21 of chapter 19 gives us detail. We're in the marriage supper prophecy, that's the prophecy focused on the battle of Armageddon. The last verse of the marriage supper prophecy, verse 21 of chapter 19 says, their entire army, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. There it is. Let me read it one more time. Their entire army, whose army? The army of the Antichrist and the kings of the world. Their entire army. What does entire mean? 100%, not 50, not 98%, not 62%. Their entire army was killed. Killed by who? By the one riding the white horse. Who's riding the white horse? Jesus Christ. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword. That's the weapon. That's the weapon that extends from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all, all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Now, how many dead bodies? We don't know. But there are 180 mouths of blood. That's the great wine press. It's the Battle of Armageddon. It's the last war that will ever be fought on this earth it is a war waged in righteousness revelation 19 verse 11 says then i saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there its rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war what war is that that's the battle of armageddon that's where the great wine press will occur friend i hope you'll be with me and us again on thursday 9 a.m texas time 10 a.m Eastern Time, and next Sunday we'll be back here on PGN. 
If you haven't done so already, I encourage you, according to Jeremiah 33:3, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.